What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Look at that young love. Isn't it beautiful? Well, we're so glad to have you this morning. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden Church, and today we are launching a brand new series called Hashtag Relationship Goals. Aren't we so relevant? We've got a little hashtag in front of it. How many of you have some relational goals in your life? How many have some relationship goals in your life? Some of us, maybe if we're married, we're wanting to have a better marriage. Maybe those of us who are single, we look in and getting ready to mingle, or maybe... Maybe you're not. Maybe you are single and you are satisfied, and that's awesome. Maybe you're dating and you're asking the question, what is the next stage of this relationship? You're wanting to have a DTR to find the relationship in your life. But, but this is a series that I think is relevant to all of us all the time, right? We all have relationship goals, and it's really important. This type of conversation is so important Because one thing that we know is true about us is that we were created for relationships. In fact, we were hardwired. You were hardwired for relationships. There's a verse at the very beginning of the Bible that uh, talks about this kind of idea, but it does so indirectly. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. Now, this may not sound like it's talking about relationships, but this very, one of these early verses in the Bible actually talks about God existing in community with himself. Notice that it says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. It uses the plural as a self-reference. And so one of the things that we know about who we are is that we were created for relationships. We were hardwired for relationships. But if you know, like I know, one of the things that you've come to realize about life is that relationships are not only amazing, but sometimes they can be hashtag complicated, right? (laughs) Relationships can be hashtag complicated. And I just want to know who I'm working with this morning. How many of you have ever marked it's complicated on your social media status? Don't You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, if you smile at me, I'll know who you are. And if you look away, I'll also know who you are. (laughs) But maybe we've all wanted to mark that before. But what I hope happens in this series... What I hope happens in this series is that each of us would begin to see a new lane of possibility when it comes to our relationships. And maybe there are some of us who have thought that there is no new lane that could exist in my relationships because of what's happened in my past. But I think the goal for every single one of us is to realize that a new lane can exist, and that lane is when we start doing relationship God's way. It's when we start doing relationships in our life God's way, when we start doing our marriage God's way, when we start dating God's way, when we live unattached, single, that wonderful single life, when we do that God's way. And so that's the goal of our series. Today, we're going to focus our conversation in the area of marriage. But I want you to know that every week we're going to kind of touch on a different phase in the life of someone's relational status, but every single, every single message will have principles that apply across the board, and that's true today. And so this morning, we're going to talk about marriage, and as we talk about marriage, I want to begin talking about my own marriage. Now, uh, this is a picture of my family. 
These are my two boys. There's Grace and the little one pointing at the camera. There's Cohen uh, on, the, on the right, your right. And there's my wife, Kayla. And this summer, we celebrated 10 years of marriage, believe it or not. And some of you are looking like, Pastor, you're so young. But if you got a little bit closer, you would notice all these, these white hairs that are erupted uh, with child number one and then child number two and then church planting number three. That's when the white really came in. And so you'll be like, why does Daniel always get haircuts? I get haircuts because I don't want to dye my hair at 34, and I want to keep the white hairs low, so uh, less visible. But I think, you know, I think we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a marriage that has experienced a lot of progress. And I think that if you would have asked Kayla and I during the first 12 months of our marriage, what kind of grade would we give ourselves? We would have probably given ourselves a big fat F, okay? An F. Because we were young, we walked into marriage with a lot of unrealistic expectations on each other. And because of that, as a result of that, we were arguing all the time. And, and these are the two major areas we argued about. We argued about in-laws. Can I get an amen from anyone? Can I get an amen? And then we argued about, believe it or not, church, right? Like we would get in our biggest arguments on the way to church on a Sunday morning when we were living in Texas and I was training to be a pastor, right? We would get in fights at church. And, uh, and it, was, it was pretty discouraging, to be honest. Like we thought, what is going on? And I think we got so frustrated at each other. There were many times throughout the first 12 months of our marriage where we asked this really serious question, did we make a mistake? Did we make a mistake? Did we do something wrong? Why is there so much conflict in our marriage? And, and I was really discouraged about it. And you know, like at this stage, you get into arguments about all little dumb things, right? Like, like uh, how far to put the seat back in your car when you're driving the other person's car. And, uh, and like how to fold laundry and how to do dishes and all those wonderfully important components to like the success and health of your marriage. And they became big deals. And we started asking these questions and we were real discouraged. And then I came across this amazing quote. And it was, uh, it was as a result of an interview that a lady by the name of Ruth Graham, she was married to the famous evangelist Billy Graham, who everyone knew. He was really popular, one of the greatest American evangelists of all time. And they asked her, they said, Ruth, have you and Billy ever considered divorce? And she said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. Murder? Yes. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is a perfect description of how we felt in the first 12 months of our marriage. And that was us. I think at the deep core of who we were, we wanted a new marriage. And I wonder if you've ever gotten to that point in your relationships before in your marriage, wondering if there was a way out, wondering if you made a mistake, wondering if you could start all over with a brand new marriage. And these were such probably painful thoughts for you as you were experiencing them. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could have a new marriage? And today, that's what we're going to talk about. But we're going to talk about having a new marriage with the same spouse having a new marriage with the same spouse. And the reason why we can talk about it in a place like this is because the God that we serve in this community is a God who is all about redeeming and restoring those things that were broken. And there are some of you maybe this morning that are saying, actually, we have a pretty good marriage. We have pretty good relationships. One of the wonderful things, too, is that God is not just about redeeming and restoring those things that are broken, but he's also about making those things that are good really good. 
Those things that are good in your life, really great. And so we're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about how to have a new marriage with the same spouse. We're going to talk about three things that I think can help us to begin progressing in that direction. The first thing is you've got to eat the frog. You've got to eat the frog. You don't know what I'm talking about, but let me read you this passage. Jesus one time was speaking with a crowd of people, and he was asked this really important question. What is the greatest of all the commandments? In other words, what is the most important thing to guide our life? And this was his response in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. It says, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said, love God first. Put God first. Mark Twain was uh, an amazing American, uh, wrote literature and and novels. And um, he once said, He said, if in the morning the first thing you do is eat a frog every day, chances are that's going to be the worst part of your day. (laughs) And after he said this, uh, it became a productivity principle, and it was called eating the frogs. And what it means to eat the frogs is to do the hard things first, to put the most important things on the front of your priority list, because oftentimes for us, some of the most important things are also the hardest things, and the hardest things are the things that we tend to what? Procrastinate with, right? We put them on the very back end. And one of the things that business leaders learned is that actually only 20% of what we do in our jobs produces 80% of the growth. It's called the 2080 rule. And it was kind of based on this rule, this idea of eat your frogs. And they're saying, put the most important things at the front of your day. Tackle those things first, because those are the things that are going to produce the greatest amount of return in your life. And Jesus was being asked this really important question. What should be the most important focus of our life? What should be our priority? And there were surely some people there In the crowd that day that maybe thought maybe my job and providing for my family should be my ultimate priority. Maybe my kids, my children should be my ultimate priority. Maybe serving my friends or being a good uh, neighbor and treating people with respect or maybe pursuing happiness or maybe like understanding the meaning of life. All of these were like potential reasons of of what should be the priority of our life. And maybe there were even some people there that morning that suggested, or that day, that suggested maybe my spouse should receive like the full brunt of of my love and my devotion. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, love God above everything else. Make him your priority because this is what he knew. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. He will give you everything you need. And so what Jesus knew is that if you put the right things in the right place at the right time, everything else is going to work itself out. And I know some of you are thinking, well, if I make God first, doesn't that take away from what I can offer my spouse? But that's actually not what happens. There's some strange amazing phenomenon that when we put God first, it actually maximizes what we can give to other people 
in our lives. And I want to show you an example of this. And so I want you to picture this empty little mason jar as the amount of time that you have to fill your day. Okay, you got this mason jar? And then I want you to view all of these little bits of sand as all the little emails that you have to answer in the morning, right? That seem so important. They even say it in like the header of an email. Read this now. It's important. And maybe these are even some of the other relationships. And what happens for most of us is that most of us are the type of people that will tend to do the easy things first. Sometimes we do the less important things first. This rock represents God. And God is the priority. Let's just say that God is the most important thing. But sometimes what we'll do is we'll spend most of our day and most of our time addressing the things in our life that are not the most important thing. Maybe they're the easiest thing, but they are by far and large not the most important thing that we can be doing. And then what happens is sometimes at the end of the day, we try to address the thing that's really important. And what happens? It doesn't fit in our schedule, right? And this even happens at the end of our lives. Sometimes you will work your entire life focusing on your career, and then at the end of your life, you realize you've neglected your family. You've neglected the things that matter most. And what Jesus was saying is he's saying, if you put God first in your life and in your time, you will then have the capacity and the ability to address all the other things that you thought were so important. Somehow, it miraculously fits. And that's the principle that Jesus is communicating. Put God first, and then everything will work itself out, including your relationships. Because when we put God first, what it does is it increases our ability to love the other person in our life. And the reason why is because when we are experiencing God's love ourselves, we then understand love at a completely different level. Not only that, but when we put God first, it increases our unity with the person that we're married to. Oftentimes, when we think about drawing close in our relationship, we think about putting energy towards that other person. But actually, Jesus is saying is that if you put God first, what can then happen is if the other person's doing the same thing, you are setting God up at the pinnacle of your life. And here's sort of a little illustration that helps to explain this. If God is first, Husband is pursuing God. Wife is pursuing God. And if you sort of follow that trail as you get closer to God, what do you notice happens to the two side points? They end up coming together with each other. And so when you're running after God, your spouse is running after God, it actually produces unity in your life. There was a saying when I went to London, and I don't know if you've ever been to England or the UK, but on the light rail system or the subway system, I don't know what it's called, but there's a really popular phrase that says, mind the gap, right? Mind the gap. And the gap is the distance between the train and the edge of the step. And the further the gap is, the more dangerous the step is, right? The further. And so they say, mind the gap. And I think that that is true in our marriage, that we have to mind the gap. The distance between our goals and our spouse's goals. Because if our goal is to pursue God and our spouse's goal is to serve our children, what you'll notice is that the gap doesn't get smaller, the gap gets wider. And so part of our goal, our heart is to make sure that we make God a priority in our life. And so what does it mean to eat the frog? 
It means to make God the priority. How do we make God the priority? Literally the same way that we make anything else in our life a priority, right? We put it in the calendar. We make time for it. We make it something that we have designated time to invest in. That's what it means to make God the priority in our life, to eat the frog. Number two, we've got to stay in our lane. you got to stay in your lane, folks. I don't know how to tell you it any other way, but there was this one time that Jesus was linked up with his followers. He knew that he was about to die, and when he left, his followers were going to panic. And so he wanted to prepare them, and so he told them, he says, when I'm gone, I'm going to send you a helper to help you navigate this life and the ministry and the leadership that you're involved in. And this is what he says in John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I surf sometimes. And uh, if you know anything about the surf world, it is not pretty. All right, it is dangerous, especially in Santa Cruz. They are not your friends out there, okay? And I had to learn that the hard way. When we were first learning how to surf, I didn't know where to go or what to do. All I knew is that everyone knew that I was a beginner, even if I didn't know how I was communicating that to them. And one time, I went to this place called First Peak. Um, it's in Capitola. And I go out there. And I have a big nine-foot blue foam board with a handle in the middle of it. That's how big it is. And I show up on the scene, and I'm trying to catch these waves, and I am, like, looking like an idiot, okay? If you've ever seen someone trying to do something athletic that they have no idea how to do, that's what I look like. It was embarrassing. And it wasn't just embarrassing to me. It was embarrassing to every other person that was out there with me. Because what I was doing is I was trying to catch these five-foot waves on a board that's supposed to catch like one and a half to three foot waves, okay? And not only that, I was getting in the way of everyone else catching these waves. And finally, finally someone had enough courage to look me in the face and say, hey, bro, don't be that guy, all right? Go down the lane. There's some smaller waves over there, but you need to stay in your lane. And sometimes in marriage, sometimes in marriage, we try to step into an arena of life that was never intended for us to be. And what's crazy is when you look at this passage, even Jesus knew how to stay in his lane. He had come to this earth. He had done his part in the mission of redeeming this world. But he knew that his time had come and his limitation was to do what he had already accomplished. But after he had accomplished that, he knew that there was someone else who was going to step into a space that he was not meant to be in, and that's the Holy Spirit. And he explains to us the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he is going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to give clarity about what is right and wrong and to help you do the right thing. And sometimes in marriage, it feels like, as a spouse, we try to be the Holy Spirit 2.0 right? Have you ever felt like sometimes your spouse is trying to be the Holy Spirit? They're trying to convict you of sin. They're trying to help you see when you're behaving righteously. And, uh, and, and sometimes they try to lay down the judgment on what's happening in your life. 
But the goal for us is to stay in our lane, to become the type of person who allows for the Holy Spirit to, the, to do work in the life of your spouse instead of you. Because we have to realize that we don't have authority in every sphere of our spouse's life. There are areas of their life that we do not effectively speak into. And if we try, if we try, we are just going to sound like a nagging person trying to change behavior but not really addressing the source of the problem. Sometimes we think that our job is to point out every flaw in our spouse. And did you know that a lot of times the flaws that you're pointing out in your spouse is a result of our own insecurity in our heart because we care more about what we think our spouse says about us? If other people see our spouse doing something, it's going to reflect poorly on us. It's usually the result of our own fears. And so we try to control them. We try to guide them and dictate every one of their decisions. And did you know that trying to be the Holy Spirit 2.0 is like trying to get a tighter grip on a wet bar of soap? Right? Have you ever tried that? The tighter you squeeze, the more slippery it becomes. And actually, the tighter you try to grab, the less of a grip you have. Sometimes when it comes to growth in areas of our spouse's life, we are limited to our own lifestyle and modeling for them what we want to see change in their life. Sometimes we are limited to the prayers that we ask on, God's, on their behalf to God. Sometimes we're limited to encouragement. Sometimes we're limited to a safe, creating a safe environment for them to grow. But the reality is that sometimes we have to let God do what only God can do in their life. And I'm not talking about appropriate expectations because I think that we have the right in this union and this commitment to speak into the behavior of our spouse appropriately. But we also have to realize that there is some deep-seated work that has to happen in every single one of our hearts that we do not have the power and authority to change in someone else's life. Number three, we have to be the change. We have to be the change. There was a time in Israel's history where God's people turned their back on him and everything that he had positioned them to do in their generation. And God knew that there was going to be consequences on his people if there wasn't change. And they were living in a culture rampant with sin. And there was a prophet who was watching all of this unfold. And his name was Isaiah, who carried the weight of responsibility of helping to be the change that he wanted to see. And this is the conversation that we pick up in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so this was God speaking and asking who will be the one in this community to be the change. And this was Isaiah's response. He says, And I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. He was willing to be the change that he wanted to see in his culture. My brother and I grew up in Sunnyvale. We went to Fremont High School. Any firebirds in the house? No? Okay, all right. Very, very well. Well, from time to time, we would go to this Christian club on campus. And, uh, and we'd go to this club. My brother was a lot more zealous in the faith than I was in high school. 
but I would tag along with him every once in a while. And there was this one time we were in uh, this, this club, and the club conversation that morning was talking about how do we reach the people on our campus? How do we serve them? How do we love them? How do we communicate the love of God to them? And while we were having this conversation, there was a rally right outside the doors of the music building where everyone in the entire campus was hanging out, and there was this open mic. And so uh, my brother was like a really passionate person in high school, and he still is today, but particularly passionate. And I could just tell that there was like something spinning inside him because his hands were starting to like rub together, and, and I could see that he was getting red. And I was like, oh, no, these are like all the tall tell signs that my brother's going to do something spontaneous. And so I started getting nervous. And then finally, he just like bursts out. They're talking about it. He says, he says, isn't it weird that we're in here talking about how to reach them out there? And like he's yelling at everyone. And he's like, we're in here and they're out there. And he said, this is stupid, right? And he goes, we're leaving. And I thought, it's only him. Why is he saying we we're leaving. I am perfectly fine with the conversation that's taking place. There's some great conversation going on. But he says, we're leaving. I stay seated in my seat. He walks out a little bit. He looks back. He said, come on, Dan. And I'm, I'm like, okay, uh, I know the punishment that happens when I get home if I don't listen to my brother in public. And so I get my stuff, and I, and I walk out there. And so we walk out of the double doors of the music building onto the quad area in, on our campus, and, and it was like this miraculous moment because as soon as we walk out of these doors, the DJ's like, all right, it was open mic. He's like, does anyone else have anything to say? And I thought, okay, Lord, my brother's crazy, but maybe he was listening to something you were telling him because this is a perfect opportunity for him to say something. And, uh, and so like before I can fully rotate to turn to my brother, I felt the loving embrace of his warm hand on my shoulder shoving me toward the DJ. And he said, Daniel, go say something. And I said, I don't even, this ain't even me. And, but he pushed me right in front of the DJ. The guy hands me the mic. And I said, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross for you. And if you got any questions, my brother's right here. He'd love to answer <laughs> anything. Boom. I dropped the mic. And I, but I just want to say, my brother was not a good example of what it means to be the change. Okay. And that, it doesn't, isn't that how it looks like in our marriages sometimes? We say, hey, we need to make this change in our relationship. And what we mean when we say we is we mean you. You need to make this change in our marriage. You need to make this adjustment in the habits of our relationship. And I've been in those moments where I've been like so upset where I'm like, I wish that you could just learn to control your emotions and change the way you talk to me, Right? But have you ever done that where you're like telling someone else the advice that you need to hear in that moment? I've been there. But in marriage, you cannot expect someone else to be the change that you want to see. If you want your arguments to be respectful, if you want your arguments to not bring up the past all the time, then you have to lead the way in that. Where you determine right now that when you get into an argument, you're not going to raise your voice. You're not going to bring up the past. You're not going to start attacking their character and areas of their life that have nothing to do with the conflict. If you want to see change 
and the culture of your home, you have to be the change that you want to see. He's going to be the first to apologize in your marriage. Are you willing to set that culture? Who's going to be the first to initiate reconciliation in your relationships? Are you going to set that culture? Who's going to be the first to forgive? Who's going to be the one to create a culture in your home where it's normative to say, I was wrong? Who's going to go first? Who's going to have the heart in our marriage to say, here I am, send me. I'm willing to be the change that I want to see. If you want a new marriage with the same spouse, you have to have the courage and the conviction to be the change that you want to see in that relationship. And today I want you, as we kind of wrap up our time together, if you walk away with no any other little bit of information, I want you to realize this. And that is that a new marriage really is a new you. A new marriage with the same spouse is really a new you. Have you ever had that experience where you go back into an environment that you haven't been in and everything's the same, but it kind of doesn't feel the same? Like maybe you go back to a childhood home and you're like, man, I thought my front yard was a lot bigger than it really is. Or I thought that tree was a lot bigger. Or maybe you, like, you eat this snack that you haven't eaten for a while or you drink a soda and you're like, man, soda is so much more sugary than I remember it being. Or maybe you go back and you hang out with an old group of friends and you're like, wow, they're a lot more negative than I remember them being. But then you realize when you go back to these environments that the conditions actually haven't changed, you have. And I think that that's true in our marriage, that today you can have a brand new marriage. And it has nothing to do with the conditions of your circumstance. And it has everything to do with your willingness to be the change. But you know, like I know, that even behavior cannot do the deep work that it, cha- that it requires to become a new person. And that is why we meet here on a Sunday morning because there are many of us who have experienced a deeper level of change than routine can cause, than behavior can cause, than enlightenment can cause. It is this change that happens really, really deep in your heart. And the crazy thing about this change is that it requires faith to happen. It requires faith because have you guys ever had that experience where Far off, something seems really small, but when you get up close, it's really, really big. That is a perfect picture of how God is. And there are some of us in the room today that have really kept God at bay for whatever reason. Maybe you're afraid to figure out what faith would look like up close. Maybe you've had bad experiences in church. Maybe you've had bad experiences with people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And because of that, you've kind of kept God at a distance in your life. But the problem with this is that the further God is from your heart, the smaller he will always seem. 
And you will always come to church and you'll wonder, what is it about this God that people keep showing up for? What is it about this God that people would start a Bible study for? What is it about this God that people would give money to support? It is because you cannot see the greatness of God because you've kept him at a distance in your life. But it requires faith. And the Bible says, Jesus said that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And this morning, I want to challenge you to consider embracing not, we're not talking about great faith. We're not talking about faith that is going to change the world overnight. But maybe, maybe today is the day that you would say, God, I want to try to just have faith as big as a mustard seed, this tiny little seed as big as a grain of sand. Not because I understand, not because I feel uniquely courageous this morning, but because, God, I know I have a marriage in my life that if I don't do something to restore and to redeem, I don't know what's going to happen. Because I have someone in my life who at one time I loved and valued and cherished, but over time something has happened. We have drifted apart in our lives. And God, if you are the answer right now, I want to take that step of faith and to see what relationships look like God's way. What relationships look like God's way. If we want to have a new marriage with the same spouse, all it requires is a little bit of faith. Will I trust God enough to put him first in my life? Will I trust God enough that he is at work in my spouse's life and I'm going to stay in my lane and pray for them and encourage them and love them, but allow for God to do the deep work required in their heart. And am I going to have the faith to be the change that I want to see in my home? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have to come into an environment like this And to believe, God, that no matter where we are in our life, no matter what we're doing, God, no matter the condition of our marriage and in our relationships, Father, you have the ability to redeem and to restore anything that was broken along the way. And God, I know that you never have people step into an environment like this by accident. We are always here for a reason because you have something to say to us. And God, you would do anything to reach the people in this world that still have yet to experience the hope and the love of your son, Jesus. And maybe today was the day. Maybe the day that we started this relationship goals was sort of piquing the interest of a heart that you have been searching for and pursuing their entire life. But God, with every big decision in life, you come to this point where you're either going to decide to push back against the good that is pulling you forward or to surrender any preconceived notion about that truth and to embrace it. And God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone and the audience today that has yet to make a decision to begin following you, I pray that you would give them the courage 
and the boldness to do that today. To say, God, I cannot figure out how to create health in my marriage. I can't figure out how to create health in my dating relationship. I can't figure out how to be happy and healthy as a person unattached. I can't figure out, God, how to have satisfaction after I've been married. God, I pray that today you would do a work in each of our hearts. God, I pray that you'd help us to have a new marriage with the same spouse. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.